Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 40. I'm your host, Pavel Bermensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Jamie Townsend. Jamie, a CFP, CLU, FEA, works with business owners and professionals to help simplify their financial lives. Typically, this involves finding ways to reorganize their planning to achieve tax-efficient solutions for their succession, retirement, and estate planning challenges. Jamie was recently recognized by Wealth Professional Magazine for this work as a top 50 advisor in Canada. Jamie is a member of Advocus, Calo, and the Family Enterprise Exchange. He is a past board member of the Canadian Association of Family Enterprise, Manitoba Chapter, a past member of the Million Dollar Roundtable, a Dunstall Award winner, and a former president of TEDx Winnipeg. He's currently a director of Partners in Giving Foundation, Inc. Recently, Jamie completed his designation in the Family Enterprise Advisor Program, which focuses on helping families manage their greatest asset through continuity. This includes business boards and family councils, business family dynamics, and family enterprise strategy. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Jamie, I'm really excited to have you on. So lots of interesting topics uh, to talk about. So let's jump right in. So tell me about your firm. So what do you do and who do you serve? Lawton Partners was started uh, mid-70s, 1974. There are about 22 different advisors on about 13 teams. And so each team operates in their own market. On our side, on our team, we're spending all of our time with business owners and professionals. And the common denominator there is really uh, individuals who care about their family. That just seems to line up really well with what we value and who we'd like to spend time with. Okay, perfect. So if you can tell me a little bit more about just the firm, I know this is sort of a larger firm, but whatever you can share in terms of, you know, just number of staff for your team and number of clients, sort of not average clients, maybe the licensing as well, that would be really helpful for, for the context. So we're MFBA licensed and on our team, there are six of us. Four of us are client-facing in various roles, two in senior roles, and then a couple of support. And then from there, we typically spend time with people who are on average about 50 years and older and typically getting close to some period of transition. So whether or not that is selling their business are slowing down or some variation along those lines. That's typically where we're spending most of our time. Makes sense. Excellent. So in your bio, I actually mentioned uh, you're one of your designations, Family Enterprise Advisor, FEA, and which is, you know, I, I will tell, you know, I don't see this designation very often. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is, is this, you know, how is this relevant re- regarding your clients, the clients you work with? And can you tell us a little bit more about the designation about, about, and about the program? Oh, uh, yeah, this was a super fascinating course. So it's a relatively new designation in the last couple of years that is focusing on business and families in business. And so, you know what, as professionals, whether or not we're accountants, lawyers, or financial advisors, or wealth managers, we understand the technical. This course was really about all the other skills that you need to carefully help family manage through a period of transition. And it was fascinating because you effectively had to sign a non-disclosure agreement to be part of the course. And we had families come in and talk about their experience, both good and bad, and how they've been able to transition their business over time. And so for us, if you look at our practice, uh, the majority of our clients are working in a professional setting, are business owners, and they typically have family and business. So this was a bit of a sweet spot for us. And so I spent a year going back and forth from Winnipeg to Vancouver doing the course, uh, had a blast and learned a ton. 
And sometimes the learnings were not just the success stories, right? The family's doing incredibly well. The learnings were just sitting back and watching what happens when things go off the rails and why they went off the rails. And, and for us, it was incredibly valuable. And so we got to talk, tackle topics such as running proper business boards, doing strategy, how to deal with the different generations. So yeah, it was super, super enjoyable. Interesting. Sounds like a very practical uh, course, not just a textbook approach, but uh, okay, this is great. So, you know, Paul, can I jump in for a sec? Sorry. You know, I think the, the driver for me was, I think if you watch what is happening in our industry, technically you can almost get access to any kind of information online, but as our practice, as our industry evolves, I think it's going to be these skills that start to set teams apart going forward because it's going to be this stuff that really matters. We can hire a technician to figure out the tax part of a transaction, but it's going to be, what does the family really want? So for us, that was maybe the biggest motivating factor. Excellent. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Awesome. Okay. So when you look at your, your, your practice yourself, so, you know, why does this business exist for you? I mean, why does this work better just for you personally? You know, why does this business exist for you just in terms of your practice, your business? Why does this work, what you're doing with clients? Why does this matter to you? Yeah. You know, I feel very lucky in the sense because I love this. We are able to have an incredible impact on people when it matters most. And so that can take various forms. But sometimes if you look at professionals or business owners or individuals that we're dealing with, these are not conversations that they can necessarily be having with their friends. They can't be having some of these conversations with their staff. And sometimes it's difficult to have these conversations with their family. So for us, it is this unbelievable way to not only manage the technical, but to have a real meaningful impact on someone's life about what they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes they're not sharing that with a lot of people. So I, we are very grateful for those moments. And I take a lot of pride in doing that. Excellent. And so did you know that before starting as, a, as an advisor? So like what would what get you to become an advisor in the first place? So if you can take us back to your early days, you know, what was it like to sort of to start joining the industry? Yeah, I actually didn't think I was going to do this. So <laughs> I came out of university. Yeah, my dad has been in the business for uh, about 40 years. And so I'm partners with him and coming out of university, it wasn't necessarily on my radar screen. Uh, and so when I first came out of university, he was going down to MDRT in New Orleans and it was uh, bring a family member or bring a friend. And so I went down with him and I, not reluctantly, but a little bit hesitant, right? You're just not familiar with the world. You're not sure what it's about. Yeah. And after sitting in MDRT for a couple days and seeing not only the caliber of people that were in the room, but just some of the stories that they were sharing, it was an eye-opener for me because it really connected with, hey, I can have a massive impact on someone's life in a great way. And so for me, that was the catalyst to then say, okay, I got to switch gears. And so we had a bit of a no-nepotism rule for the first couple of years. And I went and worked for an investment company outside of Lawton Partners. Mm -hmm. Uh, to gain experience and work through that process and then joined Wayne in 2009. Interesting. Okay, well, this is really interesting, right? So this is actually a really good approach, right? So you want, we, want, we work with another firm and then and then sort of you decide, okay, well, this I really want to do it. This is something that I'm really interested in and so let me maybe partner up with my dad if, if that's that's a possibility. Okay, really, really interesting. So so tell me, so of course you have a you know family tradition. Your, your, your father has been in this business for, you mentioned, you know, 40 years. So, you know, before we even get to your process, like, how does this sort of play out in, in how you think about wealth management? I mean, because he has a certain approach to serving clients 
And, you know, how do you sort of, you know, take what, uh, what he's learned and sort of modify that and sort of apply this to, to what you're doing? What is your really approach to advising and serving your clients? You know, I give, I give my dad a lot of credit in this situation. He's big, been a big believer in coaching. And so early on, we signed up for CEG, which is a coaching course out of the States. I think that had a big impact on not only the two of us coming together to operate on a similar system, but just what the research was telling us that the wealthiest Americans in that case, because the program was out of the States, wanted. And that was easily transferable to what was happening in Canada. So I, I think the course at CEG out of California was a, a big impact. But for us, this conversation, if you think about our context, if he's been in the business for 40 years, we have clients that are decades worth of relationships, right? Decades worth of ups and downs, decades worth of great memories and some tough ones, right? Health can be a, a tough thing sometimes if someone loses a loved one. Well, for me, this is not a conversation that is a three-month conversation or a six-month conversation. Really, we're trying to spend our time with people where we can have a lasting relationship that goes on generations. So we have four generation now clients from the original family, which is pretty cool to watch it unfold. So for me, not a moment in time. It is this process of doing the right thing, following the right principles. And then you get to see the cumulative impact, right? The compounding effect of that, not only in the first generation, but now the second generation and third generation and so on. Fascinating. Fourth generation clients. Wow. This is so unique. I have a lot of questions about it, but we'll come back to it, I guess. Okay. Really interesting insights about, you know, working with your dad and how you joined and uh, him and uh, how, how the coaching, the, the program that you're part of uh, sort of helped you to have structured relationship in a way that it, it made sense. And you know, you hear sometimes you know stories about uh, family businesses, and doesn't you know sometimes it's difficult. Yep. But uh, it sounds like you had a really good approach to that, so this is great. All right, so actually, maybe one question about uh, those those clients. Just uh, you know, when you serve when you serve clients over a long period of time. What is sort of the biggest insight into that? Like, it's just, you know, the time sort of is on your side or that, you know, of course, the more time you have, the more time you have to generate wealth for your clients. Or was there maybe something that you didn't expect about having the ability to, for example, span those four generations? Yeah, so I think just given the nature of our industry, we all understand the math of compounding, right? And how you add more time to that conversation and the numbers get bigger. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating from my perspective to watch that it's just not the dollars that you're trying to compound through this whole entire conversation. It is what that family stands for, the lessons of that family, and to try and transfer those from generation to generation. And that is maybe more important than the dollars. Because what we're having now is you have families who have done well in business. And it, a business is a, an interesting conversation when you start looking at it in terms of decades. There's an author, Tom Deans, and he talks a little bit about this saying, you know what, it's not just the bricks and mortar of a business that is interesting that can be passed on, because that can, but it is also what the family stands for, the lessons that they have learned, the resources out of that. And it's trying to pass those on from generation to generation. So I think if I'd say, what was I surprised about? The true impact on being able to pass those lessons and those values from generation to generation actually allow a family to have resources that others don't. And I'm not talking dollars. I'm talking the lessons that they have learned. And so that becomes a bit of a familiness advantage for that particular family. If you can pass those on, this conversation gets really interesting because then the dollars multiply actually much quicker when we look at the data. Makes sense, right? I mean, financial literacy is not a lack of money, right? It's like a lack of education. So so I, I think just the, uh, the understanding of, you know, how to sort of handle even the, you know, the more complex aspects of, let's say, intergenerational wealth transfer, for example, all the, you know, how, as you said, how to pass on the lessons and, and learnings. 
That's phenomenal. If I even look at some of our most successful families, for them, it's a process where mm-hmm. if they've done well financially, someone is not waking up and inheriting money at 35 or 40 or 45 with no prior experience. It's really worth seeing families bring the next generation into meetings sooner and sooner. So even though they may not participate, they're there absorbing what is being talked about. They're learning the different technical terms so that they can start to form their own opinion about what matters to them and start to build that up gradually instead of forcing it upon someone over time. Okay. And how does this play out in your wealth management process? As you start working with your clients, for example, do you do you suggest that they, for example, the family would involve, you know, let's see, their children earlier in a process? Is this part of your formal process or it depends basically on the family yeah, and it, it varies between family to family. Yeah, I think ultimately we end up meeting an individual or a family where they're at in life. And so that can be different for a, a whole host of reasons, right? It can be someone going through a business transition, someone looking to buy a business. It could be someone dealing with a health issue. It can be someone who's not happy with their current investment strategy. And so the conversation for us really starts from trying to meet the client at their moment, where they're at in their journey. And then from there, we've got steps in a process where we start to walk through various things. I'm not interested or we're not interested in just helping to manage one aspect of the whole entire plan. We're really trying to be the GM or the quarterback of their whole entire financial situation. And the reason being is the people we're working with are really busy. Like they're running their business. They're deep into running a a C-suite of a big company. They have a lot going on. They're looking to us to help simplify this whole picture and put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So for us, that includes not only just internally on our team, and we have different skill sets on our team, but it also includes making sure we're talking to the accountant and to the lawyer, right? We've all been in these situations where it's like the game of telephone when you're young and the accountant says one thing to the client, the client hears something different and then repeats a completely different thing back to us. And we're like, well, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. So we're really trying to take a cohesive approach and get on the phone here early and talk to the other professionals in this case. Okay. Okay. So what are some of the difficulties around, you know, serving, uh, you know, families, right? Especially when you have, again, multiple generations families like would you know it's, it's much more difficult of course than than serving just you know a couple let's say when there's especially if there's no children or maybe one individual like what are some of the unique challenges for example serving those kind of larger established families and, and people who are you know their net worth is, is definitely you know in probably millions or tens of millions of dollars right yeah communication is the first word that jumps out and not necessarily communication between us and the client but If you think about this conversation in terms of generations, you have the next generation coming up with their own energy, their own ideas, their own goals. And sometimes those align perfectly with the generation above, and sometimes they are completely different. And so it's trying to navigate that course in terms of the emotions that come up and the ideas that come up and how you ultimately get families to run in a similar direction, right? It's this idea of if everyone's off doing their own thing, they're not cohesive and they're not as powerful as they could be. Instead, if you could get everyone on a similar page, there's a lot of power there in terms of what they can try and accomplish. And that doesn't mean they need to be the same businesses or the same activities. But again, I feel like a bit of a broken record. It's this idea of the lessons and the values that the family stands for. If you can pass those on and get everyone running in the same direction there, it tends to be quite powerful. Excellent. Okay. Wonderful. So let's talk about some of the things that you think, uh, you know, made your, your, you know, your father yourself successful in building the the practice. Like what are, what are some of the aspects that you think that, you know, there are definitely, you can, you can identify some, some of the successful, you know, I would say, or success factors that, for example, you know, your father maybe have mentioned 
mentioned to you or you've seen you've noticed in the in the practice or that you you internally focus on and talk to your staff talk to your clients about yeah you know i have such a, a hard time with that word success or because it sometimes means that it's a finite moment right like you've reached the goal and it's done where to us I feel a little bit like we're just the tip of the iceberg and continuing to grow. The reason I feel that way is we're very lucky. We have an awesome team. And so what we've done on our side is try and find people on our team who value the same things that we do, but have different skill sets. And so when I say that, what I mean is two of our individuals have CFAs. One's got an MBA and another one has a chartered business valuation degree that allows us to help value businesses for clients, whether or not they're acquiring businesses, whether or not they're selling. And I can't see how you don't have that if you're working with business owners, because you need to understand that aspect because it's such a huge impact of their overall plan. So for us, it, it's not necessarily a moment of time of whether or not we're successful or not. It is more this relentless pursuit of trying to find ways to add value to clients. And so whether or not that's having a CBV on the team who can value our own businesses, or whether or not that's us spending time internally on our team writing some of our own software to try and help automate the process for us so we can spend time talking to people or being face-to-face because that's ultimately what matters most in our business. All right, awesome. Okay, perfect. So I'm glad that you you actually started answering this question by uh, just uh, talking about the definition of success. And, and again, I mean, I have a similar approach, right? Because I, I, I didn't want to call the podcast, you know, the advisor success podcast, because, you know, for a lot of people, yeah. that means just money, right? So, I mean, there's a broader meaning of being successful. To me, for example, it's just, it, it's something about being more effective, about doing something interesting, doing something valuable, doing something that works. And so sometimes I have, uh, you know, we have advisors in the podcast that are just starting, but doing something really remarkable or new and, and innovative. And sometimes we have, you know, established uh, advisors on the podcast. But again, it's not about the money. It's about, it's about uh, just a broader set of of values and, and ingredients here. So yeah, it's the things that energize you, right? That give you purpose. Like, oh, it's the middle of summer and you and I are talking on the phone because we love this, right? <laughs> like that's the part for me that is fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. I, I really enjoy this those interviews. And okay, so just when you look at your business right now, I mean, you have established uh, clients. And of course, you probably have a lot of growth from your existing clients. But uh, how do clients typically find you right now? Do you still just focus on marketing and acquiring new clients? Or or do you really focus on on serving the existing clients that you have and, and just sort of identify opportunities there? You know, I, we've uh, we've debated this one back and forth for a while. So for the last seven or eight years, we have a referral only way that someone gets in the door. So what what we mean by that is we the only way someone is kind of walking through the door is if someone in our client base, someone in our network stands up, raises their hand and says, hey, look, these people are great people. They will line up with how you think and they need help. And the reason we do that is... I want to make sure that a, we're spending the amount of time with our existing clients, right? I, I think there's risk if someone builds a practice of 5,000 clients. That's not really a practice. It's just transactions. You don't actually get to know someone or have an impact. Absolutely. So for us, we want to make sure that we're spending the right amount of time first on our practice. But what we find out of that process is if we are doing our job, if we are making sure that we are planning at a really deep level, right? We have some horsepower on the team with MBAs and CFAs. If we're planning all aspects at a really deep level, that's super valuable to clients. They can't help but talk about it. And for us, then that becomes obviously a nice win because they're introducing us to people who need that same level of service. Right, so one of the events we have coming up is a, effectively a client-only event where we're going to have a big conversation about wills. We're bringing a speaker in. And we'll have a nice wine and cheese event. But 
it's this idea of this moment in time, i.e. the will, when that will comes into force, all the planning we have either done or haven't is acted upon. We need to make sure that even though we don't do wills, I don't write wills, it's a bit of the rules of the game. We need to make sure that we've got that part taken care of. And so we're trying to make sure we provide value to clients that way instead of being out there and, and trying to find an additional client. It's really, let's make sure we value what we have and spend a lot of time trying to drive value for our existing client. I really like this approach. We're really just focusing on adding value to clients at the, the, you know, any way you can. And you know, this is the, the, the event about Wells when you were talking about what you just said right now. It's, it's a perfect example of that. So, so referral only. Okay, so this is interesting uh, marketing strategy, right? Because I mean, you already have a network of, of and, and a group of clients and it just basically, makes it a little bit more exclusive to work with you has it ever backfired for example for you that you know you're just by refer only is this you know i think uh, especially when you're talking with you know internally about that i mean you, people may have different opinions about it but in practice have, has it ever backfired i can't think of a moment right now that it's backfired but for sure there's probably a client or two that didn't come our way or didn't put up their hand because of that rule but if i think about it as the whole as the entire picture I just look at the data and say it's probably dramatically been in our favor mm-hmm. uh, to have it set up that way because our extra time that you would have spent, right? Like if you read these practice management books, it talks about how much time you should be spending face-to-face with clients, how much time you should be spending on the phone. And then it allots a fairly healthy percentage, like 35, 40% that you need to be out there finding new clients. I get it. I am not saying this business is easy, especially if you're starting out. This is an incredibly hard business. But we just took the approach. What if we spent that 35 or 40% and tried to vet develop new tools for our existing clients? What if we tried to spend that time improving our communication, right? So we're fully transparent on our team, on all of the decisions that are being made, the rationales for why we're going one way or another. And if we spend that extra time doing that, it is like this slow building. It does not happen immediately. But once that snowball starts to gather steam and gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, every turn of the of the flywheel gets a little bit bigger with a lot more momentum. But it takes a while to get there. Excellent. Yeah, Jim Collins, I think, and good to great to talk about the flywheel effect, right? It takes a while to actually get this going, but once the flywheel actually starts moving, then then it just becomes unstoppable. And if it works, that's just amazing. So I, I really like that about what you said. He's, you know, what, it's a Jim Collins has a new book out called Turning the Flywheel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If it's a book. He calls it a monograph. It's maybe 50 pages, but he elaborates on this idea further. Mm-hmm. Worth a read, definitely for me. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's great. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the client compensation because you mentioned you're on an MFD platform right now. So do you typically, like, is the, the model that, that you use, is this basically AUM-based? Do you do any fee-for-service work? And if so, like, what's the split? Can you help me understand a little bit more about how do clients compensate you for your services? Yeah, so primarily AUM-based and then depending on the level that we're meeting the client at that could be through pools it could be through funds it could be through investment council relationships so we have a number of referral relationships as well again AUM based for any of the planning that we are doing uh, whether or not it's the Moneyball project that we're working on or doing business valuations, that's fee for service. So we come up with a proposal given how long we think it's going to take, and then the client can choose to go forward with that or not. Uh, if it's with respect to any of the insurance, then it's just the standard industry compensation. Makes sense. Thank you. All right. So 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 far uh, in your practice, just maybe a couple of questions about you know what was the most difficult part when it comes to advising clients or or even you know building your practice. Is there something that you know? Specifically for you, was difficult in terms of you know advising clients, joining your father in the business, and building the practice with him. Yeah, if, if I think about that question, maybe I'll turn it in reverse. Our best relationships 
are people that we have known for a while, have gone through when the market goes up and the market goes down, but understand the process, trust us and trust the process. So if that's the ideal, the way I think about it is when you spend time with someone, if they're ultimately going to work with you, they need to get to know you, they need to like you, and then eventually they start to trust you. I can't find a way to speed that wheel up faster in terms of going from get to know you, get to like you, get to trust you. And so the only way I know how to do it is do the work, right? Do the work and say and do what we said we were going to do. Is it difficult? Yeah, I, I wish I could find a way to speed that process up, right? And, and have all of the new clients go through onboarding, get to the level where our other families are, our other business owners are, our other professionals are. But that only comes with years and years worth of experience in doing what we said we were going to do. So I, maybe I find that part a little bit difficult. I could wish I could speed that process up. All right, makes sense. So, and when it comes to you know just serving your clients, like what do you think that they commonly, you know, is there something that's commonly misunderstood? when it comes to, you know, financial planning, wealth management, investment planning, you know, is there something that jumps out at you uh, at this point that's, you know, just what, uh, you know, there's a theme that recurring theme that's, uh, that comes, uh, comes back, you know, what, what is typically most misunderstood? Oh, you know, oh, okay, Paul, this is interesting because I, there is so much noise, right? We've talked a little bit about this. There is so much information out there. Like really, you've got your phone in your pocket, you've got a computer sitting at home, your car has so much technology and you can ask Siri a question or Alexa a question and get an answer. And so there's tons of information out there, but there's not necessarily a ton of knowledge. And what I mean by that is everyone, there seems to be an opinion. You can express it in 140 characters or less, and there's no consequence for that opinion. But it's not when someone has, not until when someone has skin in the game that their opinion, for at least for me, starts to carry a bunch more weight. I think the greatest challenge right now is there's so much hype around these ideas that aren't vetted, right? Like Bitcoin goes from zero to 20,000 back down to 3,000. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying Bitcoin's either good or bad. It's just there's so much information out there. It is hard to make a knowledgeable decision. I even watch it right now in terms of we've got these great relationships with accountants and lawyers and I'm very grateful for it. And sometimes when someone just looks at their piece of the pie, they come up with a really great strategy that could help someone. But unless someone is looking at the whole entire picture, you end up with these situations. And I'm sure many of us have been there before, where all of a sudden we're starting a new corporation for maybe a business owner, and they want to transfer a life insurance policy from one corp to another. Well, the new rules that came out a couple of years ago say, hey, wait a second, this might be a taxable event, depending on what you do. That's not commonly well understood. So lots of information, but the knowledge of how all of those pieces fit together, I think for us, that's where we excel. That's where we're spending a lot of time. And so I enjoy that part of it, but the noise, I think the noise is really difficult to ignore right now. An interesting thing that uh, you, you pointed out, right? So there's, uh, you know, there's some, maybe some professionals that just uh, work with, with your clients, they may have some opinions about, you know, we should do this, we should do that. But really you can, you know, you can step in and you can say, hey, have you looked at the whole picture, right? Have you considered all the aspects? And, and that's, that's, that's additional way for you to add value. Okay, this is really interesting and, you know, definitely uh, really valuable. So you mentioned that uh, earlier in that conversation that, it's hard to start in this industry, right? It's difficult investor to start. But you know, do you have any tips maybe for new advisors joining this this industry, right? Like if you were going to start uh, from zero today, like what would you do? I think if you take just a quick snapshot of our industry, the average age is 
getting close to 60 now. So what does that tell you? It just tells me there's lots of opportunity for someone to join Mm -hmm. because we need to bring that average age as an industry down. But joining is hard. And starting from scratch and trying to sell term insurance is a difficult thing, right? Our with this, uh, so we're fully transparent on our side and fees and don't do any DSC as an example. But back in the day, someone used to be able to, and that would help get you started. It's a difficult thing to do now, especially when you're working with high net worth families to say, hey, DSC is a, an option. The reason I share that is I think it is difficult in the current structure for someone to start from scratch and be on their own. So if it was me, kind of given what I know now, I think you look at the model in the States, the most successful advisors in the States are in teams. And you go find a team that you can be part of or start a team with an advisor where you're bringing a different skill set to their practice, where you can help them slowly transition over time. And then you get to be part of an existing base. And as long as you provide value, that base should grow over time. Trying to start off in a strip mall on your own would be a very difficult thing. Yeah, that's good advice. That's uh, definitely true. So how do you think the delivery of, of the just financial advice and 12 measurements is going to evolve? And, and let's maybe focus just on the Canadian market, right? Because you know we're all familiar you're mostly familiar with the Canadian market. So what do, what do you see? What are the, the different sort of forces that you see in the market right now that are just shaping the industry right now? And where do, where do you think we're going to be in you know, three, five, 10 years? I think the more transparency, the better. So I think that's a continued push both from the regulators and both what you're seeing in terms of industry trends. And so all in favor, love that idea. I think you're going to see a proliferation of additional robo-advisors pop up. I think the challenge is those guys aren't making money right now, or most of them aren't making money. And if we go through a correction, the Delbar study tells you what happened. So the Delbar study, which we're all familiar with, right, looks at the average rate of return of whether or not you're using indexes or whether or not you're using different investments, but then compares that to what the actual rate of return of what a client receives. And there's this massive behavior gap. And so I don't understand how these new platforms are going to close that behavior gap because when it matters most... Uh, you need to be talking to someone face-to-face in these situations. So I, I think more transparency. I think you're getting more information being pumped out, but I don't necessarily think that leads to more knowledge or at least more actual knowledge. Interesting. Okay, so we've covered a lot of grants here very quickly. So a couple of questions before we wrap up. So it's, as you said, middle of summer right now, but uh, you know, what are some of the exciting projects in the business right now? Are you planning something for the fall or is there something happening right now? What's in the works right now for you? So uh, we've got a couple of client events coming up in the fall, which works excited for because they're we're trying to drive value right and push these conversations that we're not i'm pumped for those internally though uh, summer is this time where you get a little bit more freedom not a ton but a little bit more freedom in your time so we've actually been working on building some software tools on our side to help ensure that we are running at our highest capacity right when september rolls around after that long weekend it's no time uh, so we use the summer usually to start building new tools. So ideas we've been thinking about, things that clients have asked for us, uh, we start building those usually somewhere around the end of June and get going as hard as we can through July and August uh, and then make sure that those are ready to go for the fall. So we've got a couple in the pipe that we're working on. So hopefully in around September, we'll be able to release those to clients. Okay, so this, these are in trouble with software tools. So I'm not going to ask you for all the details, but can you give us at least uh, you know, an insight into, you know, is this uh, you know, client communication? Is this, you know, CRM? Is this, you know, something internally in, in terms of, you know, how 
you work with your team or this is something with your clients or is this you know financial planning software i don't know can you give us a little bit of insight which area of the business yeah. <laughs> this is fun you know i think the big thing for us and the best way to probably describe it is our clients across the board are making thousands of decisions a year in their business in their practice and so we want to make sure that if there are tools that we can build for them to help make those decisions easier or help give them data to make better decisions, we want to jump all over that. Because that will, even though it doesn't directly impact our business, i.e. it doesn't necessarily lead to them investing another dollar, what it really leads is to them running a better business, to them being more efficient or more successful in their operation. Well, then that obviously has great spinoff effects for us down the road. So we're building a couple of tools along that way to help our clients make better decisions. Interesting. Okay, wow. This is interesting. And very much along the what you said earlier about adding value to clients. So that's uh, that's great. So Jamie, this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for your listeners? So let's limit this to just one thing. Just one thing. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think the joy, the greatest thing about our business is that you can have a massive impact on someone's life, right? You can have a massive impact on someone's family. You're the only person showing up with money when bad things happen. And I'm not saying that is the end all be all, but it certainly helps solve some issues. You are there for these incredible moments of success. It is a treat and it is an absolute joy to be able to have these conversations. If that maintains our focus, right? If we chase this idea of the relentless pursuit of value for clients, then the growth follows. The growth is a byproduct to me of this conversation of the value that you derive. So as long as we keep that our focus, I think we should be okay. That's great advice. And uh, Jamie, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe uh, you know, learn a little bit more about what you're working on and maybe collaborate with you and uh, maybe professional to, to maybe help uh, join your team, how would they do that? Uh, what's the best way to reach you? They can find my contact information on lawtonpartners.ca or you can reach me by email at jtownsend at lawtonpartners.ca. Uh, I'm not sure how many people We'll, we'll reach out for that, but it's there uh, if you need it. Well, I know, I know that you know just from talking to past interviewers, just past guests, it does actually happen, and it just uh, often leads to really interesting conversations. So I hope it's uh, the same is going to happen for you. So Jamie, thanks for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation with you. Thanks so much. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.